Hello, everybody. Welcome to what is this? Four? Three? No, three. Three. The, revealing the secrets is we've recorded another one that we're going to release later, but this is officially three. Official three. My name is Brace Harris. And I'm Victoria Fenton. And we are. Unveil. Ooh, careful now. <laughs> Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> awesome. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, today, we would like to talk about... We, today, after a little personal check-in, which we'll do in a minute, okay. we are going to um, talk all about trauma. Um, and the reason I sort of had the... the <laughs> brain burst of wanting to do this yesterday lots of brain bursts lots of brain bursts um and the reason why i want to supplant the, the episode that we've already recorded with it is because it's so flipping important and it's being talked about a lot at this moment in time and i don't always think it's being talked about appropriately mm. and i also think it's being bandied about as a buzzword and i think some myth busting would be useful from us as the unveil team mm -hmm. and that word is trauma trauma Mm -hmm. So, how are you doing though, Bryce? Uh, doing good. Uh, having some reflections this morning on a client mm -hmm. and some revelations and mm -hmm. some insights and just allowing that to sit and marinate and process. And mm -hmm. for all my coaches out there, this is you know where your clients are doing the work is during in-between sessions. Mm -hmm. That's where we get to do our work as well. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing that, Time to look in the mirror and mm. be like, what needs to shift? Mm -hmm. Where can I get better? Mm. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's a part of the reason why we love working together and like chatting together because we get to brainstorm about, more brainstorms, about mm. like client stuff. And these are real people that we take care of. Yeah. So having like a team of coaches on their side is such a privilege for our clients but it feel it's it's fun for us too because we get to truly see into the depths of clients and truly take them on a journey and two brains are always better than one infinitely absolutely and two different styles mm. while you know both victoria and i have very similar uh values about how we move through our coaching yeah. contracts it's still two different styles and right. getting a whole other style and access to that, mm -hmm. you not only get to steal things, which is super fun, mm -hmm. but you get massive insight through someone else's eyes. Mm -hmm. And that is wonderful. Mm. And it's, it's, um, it's always lovely for me to understand how to codify the way my brain works. Cause I've been doing this for so long. It's like, I see things and it's that just familiarity with the coaching space mm. that you'll be like, but how do you know? And I'm like, uh, I don't know how I know. Hang on a second. Yeah. Well, let me like teach me. Out. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, let yeah. Me work out how I know. And it's, it's a fascinating journey to go through together, which is, is great. So lovely. And that's kind of the framework we're going to take around this topic today. Cause trauma is a huge thing that could go on forever. And we're just going to talk about it. Um, we're going to try and keep it a little bit structured, although if you've been listening to the Unveil podcast, you'll know that structure is kind That's... of not the theme of our podcast. Yes. But, you know, we'll try and keep it a little bit structured because this is valuable. And the, you know, the truth about trauma is that it's so important because it's ubiquitous. It's literally everywhere. And it's something that understanding not just what trauma is, but the long-term implications of trauma that really allows us as coaches to mm. take our clients back into 
the things that really reveal the differences and, and change and move the needle on their, their lives is as an adult. Yes. Um, yes, but before we step into that, because mm-hmm. I think we started to just a little bit. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Tell me why. I, I'm going to Austin at the end of October. Yes, she is. Where else I am. Very so, good. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. Well, I do. I applied and went, yeah, let's do it. So mm-hmm. I don't mind mentioning this. I'm, I'll... T- no, I'm, go, go, go. I will tag it in all of our things because I, I think we might have released by then. I think we might release by the end of October. Yes. Yeah. Um, so um, I have followed Emily Williams and her husband um, for a long time on Instagram and they've just moved to Austin and she announced a you know free 12 women mastermind thing that's happening and I was like, I'm totally down for that, especially since it's in Austin and I get to go and see our friends and our teachers and mentors maybe if they're around. I might mm-hmm. just like knock on doors, like randomly <laughs> let me in. Um, but yeah, and I get to go and spend a day with 11 other powerhouse women who are building big businesses and really want to up-level from a place of service and community and connection. So congratulations. So much fun. Yes. I also exciting. had a, a chiropractic appointment this morning over in Pasadena with Ben. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Ben Maynard, he's my excellent chiro and we'll tag him as well just because. Yeah. So yeah, feeling good. Um, and feeling really positive about the way I'm moving into this kind of new LA coaching role vibe and have liberated some spaces open for my coaching. So, yes. yay. so yeah. Very good. Awesome. Very good. Congratulations. Thank you. She's bright eyed and bushy tailed. <laughs> Anyone on the YouTube can see, <laughs> but me, I get to be in the present, in the presence of elation. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Hmm. Right, so from elation. <laughs> from elation, let's go the opposite direction. Indeed. Let's go into trauma. Yes. So. What is trauma? What is trauma? Um, I, my view of trauma um, is that it's anything that has happened in your life, whether as a child or as an adult, that destabilizes you that completely rocks your world from any perspective and leads to feelings of unsafety. And I think it is important to distinguish and yet not necessarily hierarchicalize um, the difference between um, childhood trauma and adult trauma. Um, and childhood trauma has a very different legacy because it is often way more unconscious because it is it happens before we even really can cognitively grasp things. But that's not to say that adult trauma is any less impactful. And I think there's a big misunderstanding out there in the community at the moment that everyone's talking about before seven. Great, really important stuff. But actually, particularly repeated adult traumas that completely knock your world can actually be just as impactful, particularly if you've had a really great childhood and suddenly somebody pulls the rug out from under your feet and says, actually, the world's not as safe as you thought it was. So for trauma, we're looking for anything that can give you the impression that you are no longer safe just being you or just existing in the world. Yes. And another um, distinguishment. Talk to me synonyms. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't even know how to rephrase Uh, that phrase. Distinguishing factor. Factor, yes. Um, With trauma is like you have the big T trauma. Sure. And then you have... The little T trauma. Yeah. And some of the things that I have seen clients do mm-hmm. is, oh, you know, they bypass. Mm. You know, a lot of kids had it worse than I did. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, my dad just yelled at me that one time. But he was a very loving and caring father that still doesn't take away 
the fact that that moment for a child mm. in a child's mind in a child's world mm. could have been a moment where something shifted mm-hmm. within yeah. and, a, and a different type of strategy was born from a small t traumatic experience. So I, I would encourage everyone out there not to dismiss your feelings, right. dismiss your memories yeah. or, or, or anything thinking that, oh, that's, that's not really something that falls under the umbrella of trauma when yeah, a lot of the times it does. I had a, a gentleman one time tell me he was a, a leader of a, a group and he was like, you know, a trauma for me. When I was little, I made, he was like into models mm. and he made a model airplane. Mm. And his dad, he was super excited about showing his dad this model airplane. And his dad came home, had a shit day at work. Right. And he handed the model to his dad and his dad like kind of, rushed by him didn't pay attention and like took the plane and like set it off to the side like he didn't care yeah. and for that little boy yeah that was horrendously painful so he grew up holding on to this mm. like if i don't do something perfect and in, in his little mind his egocentric mind and you know just for the layperson and just as a reminder Children are very egocentric. So everything revolves around that. It's my fault or I did something wrong yeah. or people like me because of me or they don't like me because of me. And it has nothing to do with them. It's all about me, 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 me. And certainly has nothing to do with the quality of the model airplane that he made. Right. And according but, to him, from then on, he couldn't do anything that wasn't absolutely perfect. Because yeah. if it wasn't perfect, then his dad... Dad wouldn't love him. Wouldn't love him. Mm. And it's... I always say to my clients, there is no hierarchy to pain. So it's not that one person's trauma is any worse or better than anyone else's. It literally is, how does your circumstances of trauma create situations and strategies in your life that are adaptations and not innate? And that is the big thing. It's like, if trauma has caused you to adopt a strategy, a pattern, a behavior, or a way of thinking that isn't necessarily aligned to your true heart, that's a trauma. Doesn't matter whether it was big and epic or whether it was tiny and to anyone else seemingly insignificant. It's created a rift where suddenly from going in one direction of alignment and soul's purpose, you're kind of over here performing and like having identities and patterns. Yeah. Yeah. If you've ever wondered... You know, why did I react that way? Right. Why did I get so upset over this thing that is seemingly small Mm. to everyone else around me? But for me, very big deal. Mm. More than likely. Yeah. I would say very, very likely Mm -hmm. that you are having that response because of some sort of trauma that happened in your past where your subconscious decided to come up with its own strategy on how to protect you and that strategy may no longer be viable in the way that you're living your life it doesn't make sense yeah and we'll come into all the hows and the the kind of consequences of trauma as we move through um because that's how you understand whether trauma is part of the legacy like what are the consequences in adult life yeah but it benefits us to just break down what is trauma a little bit yeah, yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went in a little, no, little no, too quick. No, no, it's great because it will allow people to like understand why they want to keep listening because yeah. like this is not just existential and applicable to people who are over there who have what you determine trauma. It's like if you're noticing any of these behaviors or over, quote unquote, overreactions, mm-hmm. then keep listening because there's more 
in there. But I think it's really important to make it crystal clear that events are not traumas. They are events. Trauma is usually accompanied by an emotion or a need not being met or some shame that goes along with that event that creates trauma. Because if dad came in with the model airplane, we'll keep using this example, and did the whole brushing off and was completely non-paying attention and then five minutes later was like, oh, I really didn't pay attention and went back to the boy and was like, I am so sorry, tell me all about this model airplane. No trauma. No trauma. Same event happened, but the ongoing part of it was dad came back, showed love, showed apologies, all of those kinds of things, allowed the kids' needs to be met ultimately over time. And I say that for the parents out there because you are going to mess up. Yeah. (laughs) You are going to, like, be five minutes late to pick your kid up from school because it was traffic. And in their head oh my God, mommy doesn't love me anymore because she's five minutes late because five minutes to a kid is like eternity. Right. But if you meet the kid and go, I am so sorry, baby. Traffic was terrible. You know I love you. What do you need right now from mommy? You put balance back into that relationship. So trauma is not events. It's always a kind of map around those events, usually determined by emotional charge Mm. and then aloneness or some kind of thing not being given that needed to be given to repair that moment. Right. And within that, we have different types of trauma. So that that explanation is much more specific for the acute traumas, like things that are short, sharp shocks, big events, bigger life events. You know, common one is parents getting divorced for kids, death, bereavement, loss of a loved one, all of those kind of one-off things that, as I said to begin with, rock your world, destabilize, make you suddenly go, whoa, people don't live forever. Or, oh my God, like my mom dad and 2.4 children family is suddenly like a tripod and how do we deal with it that's deeply traumatic because particularly with those events they normally affect everyone around you as well so if you think about losing a loved one bereavement in a family it isn't just you that it impacts it actually affects your little constellations the family so there's no emotional salve for that chaos that can be dropped into a world yeah yeah like for example you know, you lose uh, a grandparent mm. and it just happens to be, let's say, for example, your mother's father. She was super close to her father. There is a loss that she is experiencing, also a loss that you're experiencing if you were close to that grandparent. But then what you need from your mother in order to move through that traumatic event, she is not necessarily in a state to give you that and yeah. that can have an effect yeah. and that's not saying moms out there that it is the end all be all for you to be able to just Drop push up. everything yeah, yeah, down yeah. and you know be there 100% in your natural state for your child it's, it's just part of life part of living but those are you know those are things we go through. Totally. And if you think of the geography of that example, losing a grandparent, so often the parent wants to be in the hospital where the grandparent's taking its last breath, losing its life, leaves the kids at home. So suddenly there's somebody who's not the caregiver who maybe gives the news that the grandparents died or the parents come back from the hospital. It's just chaos. And there's no good way to manage it. Yeah, there it's, is no good way. Yeah, so, and it's, it's, you know, we do the best we can. Right. And trauma is a little bit inevitable in these ways. But that's kind of the acute stuff. And yeah. Oftentimes, deep chaos is involved. The one that's a bit more subtle and the one that oftentimes can be put into lowercase t trauma is the chronic kind of trauma, which is ongoing, over time, 
lack of needs being met or lack of feeling safe. So common ones are parents who are less than able to emotionally give you what you need in any given moment in time. Or, you know, maybe parents who are addicts or people are distracted, anything like that. Or, you know, an illness can actually be a long-term chronic trauma because Mm. constantly over time, your body's not performing how you would expect it to. And so this is anything which perpetuates and goes on for a long period of time and usually isn't extreme in nature um can be don't get me wrong you can have extreme abuse for example chronic trauma um but oftentimes these are subtle ones like um having this kind of destabilization as for a more permanent basis in your particularly childhood Mm. and then should we move on to the other one sure so the other one i kind of loop all together it's a little bit paul conti-esque who's a empty in trauma is very well worth looking into um but there's many words for it but i like the word vicarious trauma and it's the traumas that we pick up from other people now there's a lot of really sensitive people out there there's a lot of empaths a lot of people who are very tuned into the world around them just compassionate caring people and it's for those people you can actually have somebody in your circle have a trauma and you experience the emotional impact of it the reason i like to put it this way is because we work a lot with coaches and so having coaches be aware that the reason you have boundaries in your practice is because if you are an empath, you will take on a lot of the stuff and the traumas that your clients go through and you need to have those boundaries. But there's also the societal traumas. So any marginalized group, any oppressed group, any group that has this sense that they're always being told by whomever that they're not good enough, that they're not part of society, that is a massive trauma. And that's why a lot of those groups feel so many cascades of things through the generations particularly through their ancestral trauma because they've been marginalized and penalized for usually no fault of their well never any fault of their own sorry rephrase that like skin color uh gender preference Mm. sexuality so that's where other traumas come in does all of that make sense as a list yeah no absolutely well and and on this one i'm uh definitely gonna let you take the lead on a lot of this because you've had you know a lot more uh medical experience with a lot of this yeah um well and i worked with psychiatrists for many well for several years so i think the the reality of why i see this as so important is because trauma is so poorly handled in the medical profession it's you know, even psychiatrists, especially private psychiatrists who may charge you a lot of money for an hour of their time and it makes it feel like they're getting a sense of you as a person, they're really only getting a sense of your complaints, so your symptom list. And usually if you're approaching a psychiatrist with any of these kind of problems that may stem from trauma, the psychiatrist is not thinking about trauma, it's thinking about DSM diagnoses so they can bill for insurance and which medication they might put you on. So you're not, as the client, thinking about trauma. You're thinking about this laundry list of problems that I have mentally or emotionally or behaviorally. Mm -hmm. And so even in the settings where they can charge a lot of money and give you a bit more time, it's, it's not always thought of as, well, hang on, let's get to the root cause. And that's a huge part of why we as coaches need to be trauma-informed. Like, if our psychiatry profession was stellar at being trauma-informed, we wouldn't need us, really, because you'd have psychiatrists and psychotherapists who really got it. But so often it's just this list of symptoms that they're trying to match diagnoses and medications to and not actually... Right. Don't they even have, like, 
little, I say little, but like books where it's like, DSM. It, yeah, that's the yeah, DSM. it must. Okay. So that is the DSM. Well, yeah. So the diagnostic, I don't know. Yeah. 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 And it's like, if, if all these boxes are not ticked, then you cannot make this official diagnosis right. for this particular client. And like we could go down a huge rabbit hole with the DSM, but sure, it started yeah. that thick and it gets thicker and thicker and thicker. And the magic of the DSM, it's something fascinating that is not part of the structure that I was going to go into today, but there's something called the clinical gaze. And it's just, you think you walk into a psychiatrist's office, oftentimes if they're not private healthcare, which I'm, I'm being very British with my medicalizations because there's a lot of difference, but in the Britain, we have the NHS where you will get a 15 minute appointment. You won't get any more. It's different, slightly different here in the US, but it's still not great. But you've got that tiny appointment window and you walk into that office perplexed, a bit concerned about your mental health. You walk out of that office often 15 minutes, maybe 30 minutes later, and suddenly you have a label. Nothing changed. You did not change as a person in that 30 minutes you sat with thy psychiatrist, but suddenly you have a label that is massively powerful for the rest of your life. And I would argue equally traumatic as the traumas that might have caused the consequences in your brain that led you to get that label. And the biggest battle that I have had in my medical kind of background and my coaching background is allowing people to drop their labels and see their set of symptoms just as that set of symptoms so we can wind it all back to, okay, what's the legacy factor for those sets of symptoms? It's not a diagnosis. Sometimes diagnoses are useful because they get you into a loop or they get you somewhere, but actually more often than not, they give you a complex and they create distress because you've suddenly got this mm. thing mm. on your forehead that you feel like you're wearing in the street. In oh, public. yeah. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. one of the labels that I was, quote unquote, diagnosed with mm -hmm. is uh, from a young age. It's like I had anger issues. Mm -hmm. So I had to go to a child psychologist, um, counselors, you know, I was the angry kid. I just suffered from anger. Nobody ever treated potentially what was, why that anger was even there to begin with. Yeah. They were just like, okay, you're just an angry kid. And so literally for the next 20, 30 years, I grew up thinking I'm just angry. I'm just an angry person. And that is a diagnosis and a label that I have and that I took on. And mm eventually war with pride mm. because I was like, I'm angry. That's what I am. But anger made me feel powerful. Right. And it's, what else can you do with the label of like, you've got blank issues. Yeah. You have to take it on as a, like a badge of honor almost because like, what else are you going to do? Well, yeah. I mean, and I mean, there's that anger, which is not necessarily, uh, I would think a uh, traditional diagnosis of some, but people who have anxiety, depression, um, you know, it's like, oh, I have anxiety and that's just what I am and that's who I am and that's what I'm always going to be. Right. And, and, and that's and, not fair to them. And to get into the DSM or to get into the insurance coding, you don't just have anxiety, you have generalized anxiety disorder. Ooh, okay. That's taking it and ninja leveling it up several so steps. So now you, you don't feel like such a... Uh, a, a loser oh this has an actual medical term but you've got a disorder and it's like well okay so my anxious thinking is disordered it's not the absolutely oh, so it's bad right it's yeah. not the absolutely natural consequence of 
trauma, traumatic history needs not being met. It's yeah. a quote unquote disorder. It's an abnormality. It's something that needs fixing, changing. It's something that makes me a bad person. That I need to get rid of. Right. And all that. And all of that type of thinking is what usually gets us into a really bad, really dark we are place. at that point just stacking shame upon shame, shame upon, upon shame, shame, upon shame. Yes. And from that point, people will never get to a coach at that point because they've got their legitimized label. They feel terrible about themselves because they've been given this anti-societal, you don't fit with us, you're abnormal approach. And that's like, I was going to say a death sentence, which sounds melodramatic, but it's certainly a, you don't go anywhere from here sentence. It's a, you've got this. And usually it comes along with medication. And I do want to touch on medication at the end, Mm -hmm. but usually it will come along with, here's a prescription. I don't know what it's quite like in the States, but in the UK, your general practitioner, who is not a psychiatrist, they do not have any psychiatric training. They can still prescribe selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, certain dopamine um, reuptake inhibitors, which is not quite the way to say it, but noradrenaline ones. They They can prescribe quite elite level psychopharmaceuticals and as soon as you're on a psychopharmaceutical you're not you (laughs) so for me as a coach it is very different coaching somebody who's taking something like a medication versus coaching somebody in their natural state and it's I can feel the difference and so it just leads to complexity yeah I was gonna say can you be even more specific? specific There is a, so I'm very empathic. So for me, when I'm coaching somebody who's on some kind of particularly SSRIs, because they're the most common kind of entryway, there's a, there's a deadening to the extremes. Um, So I'm coaching and I really want somebody to go into some kind of inner work. And Mm -hmm. there's just like a doorway I can't quite go through. It's like a, oh, hang on. This is, we feel like we're just staying slightly above the surface. Got it. But similarly, they can have a great thing happen no highs so it's not that they're not just going to the lows the highs get knocked off as well and for me it just feels like i'm sometimes knitting fog a little bit Mm. Mm. and just to say that's not if you're working with a coach come off your ssri or it's just yeah definitely do not do that (laughs) yeah if you're working with a coach they need to know what you're taking and i would always advocate working with a psychopharmaceutical aware coach and that's quite rare um, because you can become a coach and do a week in course and call yourself a coach. It's not what we've done, but you know, there's this kind of like, it's not a very regulated industry. So having somebody with that medical background is always super important. Yeah. So as a, as a client, make sure you're doing your homework as well. Ask the questions. Yeah. Speaking of which brings me nicely onto, so how do we get to trauma being underneath this laundry list of symptoms? Ask the questions. <laughs> Like, Mm. just take the time to ask the questions. Like, you know how massively revealing questions can be for a client, don't Mm -hmm. you? It's like, you'd be surprised how willing people are to open up about what's in their past if they just have somebody who creates a safe space, says, I'm here as an ear to listen, and, you know, tell me about it. And you shared when in our What Is Coaching podcast about how you were always the guy that friends went to to speak to. That's what they're feeling. It's a it's a resonance to openness, curiosity, lack of judgment. Tell me about it. And I mean, tell me about it. Tell me about your actual life, not the surface life you're living. And that's, people will very, very quickly open up. Some people. Some people. Some people. And some people tell you what they think that you would want to hear. But it's also our job as coaches to see through that. Mm. Not that they're 
intentionally maliciously no i mean so many putting people, a people beautiful yeah that they want to please their coach as well yeah and it's just a strategy that mm. is like a knee-jerk reaction it's mm. not it's not something that they can necessarily or even aware of i think that's the key i absolutely yeah. think that's the key they're not aware of it yeah and you know, which is one of the things we talked about in coaching, the awareness. Mm. Like one day, once they become aware, mm. then, you know, then you can drop into, okay, let's explore this a little bit more. Mm. Now that you're aware of what's coming up for you, how mm. your patterns are playing out, how your strategies are playing out and truly affecting your, your life. And you have the ability to step back uh, and see it for what it truly is. Yeah then we can get into, you know, identifying some things and then right. and then moving toward where something was born, mm. where these not-so-helpful strategies mm. were born. Mm-hmm. And even though they may seem helpful, mm. some of them are not. Mm. Like, for example, there is, you know, somebody who works constantly, just work, 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 because that's how I get ahead. That's how I make the money. That's how I do the thing. And in actuality, that work, 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 work was just a strategy to avoid working through, moving through, dealing with mm. some sort of traumatic event. Mm. And work and overwork is one of the most legitimized addictions we have because, Ooh. you know, <laughs> people are squirming in their chairs right now. Yeah. Right. And it's, this is why I love working with top executives. It's like, you think you're successful because you work really hard and you have a great big bank balance. Great. Good on it. Crack on. However, however, what got you there? And it's, it's not always, always the case, but it is almost nearly always the case <laughs> that entrepreneurs, people who've really driven to get to the top of their field, have done so because they're running away. They're driving away from Opposites. Yeah. yeah. And so my big play for those kind of executives isn't, oh, I'm going to drop you back into your trauma and you're going to lose all of your sparkle and magic. Yeah, it's no. about helping them to realize that the essence of their drive came from a motivation that was away from, but actually the drive is innate. They are type A and it's about balancing that so they don't have to work so hard to still have the success. Oh, and guess what? You can have a personal life and have a bit of fun at the same time. Oh yeah. You get the best of all the worlds, you guys. What? Yes. Just when you thought that wasn't possible, boom. Right. And people often think that success only comes off the back of sacrifice. And my mission in life is to convince people that sacrifice is not an essential prerequisite for external or internal success. I love that. Mm. Do you guys love that? Let me hear it. Oh, I can hear you out there cheering like crazy. We need a clap track. We need like a... <laughs> I'll just do, I'll just do yeah, like uh, uh, sound effects with my voice. <laughs> so what I want to do now is talk about, well... I'm going to do something first, and then I want to talk about some really specifics about how we spot if there may be trauma in the background. Got but it. Before we do that, I want to put a caveat. It's really common at the moment to think that everything is trauma-based. Now, I would say that 99% of stuff is trauma-based, but the, the, there is a very narrow and careful line that we have to like work out because there's a lot of stuff that happens, particularly when you leverage some psychedelic ceremonies, which is all the rage at the moment, or when you go into deep inner work where quote unquote memories are recovered. 
Now, you and I know, and I don't mind sharing, that that has happened for me in a very genuine way, and it was very important, and it's something that you actually helped me move through massively, and mm. thank you for that. But it is also possible in particularly rarefied coaching sessions for a coach, a healer, a somebody who's pur- purporting to be aware to actually implant or share with you traumas that they believe you have occurred. They've seen it, it's a vision, it's a something. And at that point, they're implanting memories into somebody's consciousness. Mm-hmm. Usually this is done in a very spiritually woo-woo way, and I shut, and it's very dangerous because everything in our life runs on our narratives. Yeah. So we have our own narratives, which are usually bullshit, and that's what we as coaches help clients to unravel and unveil Mm -hmm. the truth of but when somebody else layers into a narrative of theirs into your world it is actually super dangerous yes and this is this is also a warning for coaches out there Mm. um and it's so funny that we're talking about this right now well not funny um i just watched a special on netflix about a gentleman named billy milligan and he was diagnosed with multiple personality disorder. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of psychiatrists that they interviewed that were that were like, he didn't really believe it or fall into it until after the people who were working with him started to tell him that's what he was. And he took on that identity. And when he did that, mm-hmm. 24 different personalities started to come forward originally it was just a few it was seven main ones and then he started working with two in particular and other doctors looking in were like there is an agenda here Mm. from the doctors as well there was this notoriety that was happening around multiple personalities around multiple personalities because the the original doctor was the same uh psychiatrist who worked with sybil Mm. Uh, if you're familiar with with that book from the 70s Mm -hmm. 60s 70s um wow and and worked with sybil and then she worked with billy milligan and that's when he really started to heavily develop mm. even more personalities and he was like this is what i am and then another doctor came in uh, we are so suggestible we are and a lot of this was done under trance as well and that's and which it's... makes it 10 times more susceptible as right. a cli- as the client so and and but for trance like like if you're at all being called to plant medicines i am an absolute advocate for them being done in the right way in the right setting but with the right people. Yes, huge. Because particularly for empaths, for highly sensitive people like me, who I am around, I will absorb a lot of during those ceremonies. I've never done it, just being frank. Um, but there is there is a deep awareness that I have. And simply because it doesn't need to be as extreme as that Billy Milligan experience. Like I went to a lot of, when I first got sick, I was obviously sent to a lot of psychologist psychotherapist because everyone was saying it was in my head I had anorexia I had bulimia whatever it was and so what happened well I kept getting told by psychiatrists that it was my daddy issues or it was my mummy issues like one in particular I remember was like this is all to do with your issues with your mother and you know my relationship with my mother we are close as anything we completely get each other and we are each other's cheerleaders and challengers 
equally. Mm -hmm. And I literally had to go away from that office and think, is this actually, oh my God, there's a relationship. So for, I don't know, I, I can't even remember timings, but I did have to like call my mother to task and say, this is all to do. And I believed it. I was like, oh my God, I will do anything to heal. So if someone's telling me it's my yeah. mummy issues, it's mummy issues and I'm going to go wholeheartedly into mummy issues. And thankfully, mum and I had the kind of bandwidth and wherewithal to buffer that out of us. And we'd done enough. But I was a very vulnerable, very suggestible, very unwell girl that needed not to be told this is your issue, but I needed it to be asked out of me. I needed it to be brought out of me. Yeah. And so would it be fair to say that some of the doctors you worked with, um, how do I want to phrase this, were not professional Completely. or... They were projecting. And to be honest, these weren't necessarily doctors. These were... Um, one was a hypnotherapist who projected onto me all of her daddy issues and she'd had past eating disorders and was then very overweight and she was hypnotizing me doing EMDR again. Uh, eye movement desensitization and something else. Um, it's a very good way. Eyes to, to the left, eyes to the right. Yeah, exactly yeah, 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 yeah. that. It's a very good way to deal with um, memories and to reframe memories. Yep. But yep. all to do with like it's all to do with your dad. You need this blah blah blah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, okay. And then another one was a psychotherapist who was doing gestalt therapy. So sitting me in a chair and sitting me in a, another. So chair. telling you. Telling me. Telling me. You put your mother in that. This chair. is you. This yeah. is you. This is you. Yeah. Mm. 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 And for people in a. A state. Well, I was emaciated by this point. Yeah. Desperate to heal. And I would have done anything, yeah. including nuke my relationship with my parents if I needed to, because that, that was clearly damaging me. Yeah. And it's like, thank God there, but for the grace of God and all that kind of stuff that I yeah. had some kind of fate that was destined not to go into, oh, just destroy every relationship you have because somebody's told you you've got an yeah. issue. Um, and don't get me wrong, there was stuff to deal with. But it it's so damaging when somebody else tells you what's up. So, yeah. So I, I, the main point I, I would feel is dramas there. Mm -hmm. Tread lightly. Mm. Tread lightly where you don't feel comfortable. Mm. And if there are opportunities to, to move in and there's opportunities for healing and that's in your wheelhouse as a coach. Mm. Go for it. Mm. And a lot of people right now might be thinking, but why would I bother to actually go into my traumas? And it's like, well, because no matter who you are, those traumas create consequences. And it's really important to understand that this is how we as coaches identify when there's trauma at play. Mm -hmm. And one of the key ones that I notice in people is when they're over controlling life, when they feel the need, if everything's this way, then we're good. But one little tiny thing goes off and immediately the whole house of cards falls down. That's a sign that somewhere in their past there was an unsafety. So control, and particularly control off the back of tension, became the strategy to make life feel safe. But ultimately, it doesn't feel safe because you're having to grip yourself so tight to just keep life on the, on the tracks, if you like, that you instinctively know that you're not actually safe. It's safety by illusion, not safety felt deeply in your being. Yes, which is why that behavior continues to show up right. day after day after day after day after day after day until the day that you die, until you step in and say, okay, this is a symptom. This is a symptom. I, this is something I need to work through. Right. And you mentioned until the day you die, which is a really interesting thing to have said, because 
the reason I got into coaching so much is because of my healthcare practice where people would show up in my clinic with physiological quote unquote illnesses that were the result of tension patterns because muscular tension that comes off the back of nervous system tension which comes off the back of trauma and the need to control Mm -hmm. equals deep gastrointestinal problems because tension you can't then have rest and digest mode digestion can't flow hormonal problems which leads to all sorts of symptoms yeah you get breathing problems headaches migraines all of these physical things autoimmunity all of these come off the back of unprocessed undealt with trauma that's led to tension that's led to a consequence physiologically beautifully said and there's other stuff as well i mean two of the biggest ones that we like to talk about one of them is the hypervigilance and you can talk about this because you were mentioning this before about why you're reacting now to something that seems so small and it is to do with what we what our brains pay attention to yeah i mean just to give you for those of you who don't know i mean your brain is constantly scanning it's scanning 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 your environment all the time you're bringing in what billions of bits of information um most of which you don't even cognitively register but anything that even resembles a traumatic event from the past no matter big t little t trauma Mm -hmm. you know could be the airplane it's like oh you know i'm a grown man i handed in a paper to my boss at work or a project that i was i worked my butt off on and they ignored it didn't pay attention to it it got thrown to the side and they never looked at it again and for the airplane person that's triggered them. that's huge yeah. for them that's yeah. like oh my god yeah. what did i do wrong yeah. and it's all my fault and it's like i'm a piece of garbage yeah. and you know and if they really stepped back took themselves out of that situation and watched somebody else go through that mm. yeah they may they may be triggered watching that but they also may be wow why such a, a, a primal kind of visceral reaction? Yeah. Um, and it's just because we're pattern matching. Pattern matching yeah. from the past into the present and dis- determining our reaction based on does that look vaguely threatening? And we will always overreact rather than underreact. Absolutely. I think this is a, another bit to mention, particularly for women as well, where kind of workplace microaggressions came into play because those kind of little subtle things from quote-unquote men in the workplace or wherever and the Me Too movement and all of that. And yes, it's getting into dodgy territory, but so often the reason that was so triggering is because it triggered traumas from the past because sexual abuse is rife. So those microaggressions become the focus of every, um, not every, but certain women's kind of problem, if you like, and sure, behavior needs to be in line, but that hypervigilance leads to a, oh my God, you can't even have someone wolf whistle let you down the street because it's disrespectful. And that was what I was seeing play out when that whole Me Too movement and all the things were happening. Yeah, well, and and you know what? I, I don't think it's always going to be an overreaction. I mean, because you have the, the hypo reaction where they just sure. close in on themselves. But it's an extreme either way. Either way, yes. So Hulk mode, you yeah. know, raw, or just completely closed off. I just want to be in a dark room and, and under my bed, yeah. you know, inside a sleeping bag, yeah. you know. And that's when you get fatigue conditions and mm-hmm. something called cell danger response syndrome, which really does make people very ill. And yeah. there's just huge amounts that can happen. Um, but that hypervigilance is just a huge reason to forgive yourself. Because if you know that your mind is already scanning for something that looks vaguely familiar, you don't need to... It's not about judging the behavior that happens. It's about knowing, 
that's my brain again going, and I have it with abandonment. Whenever I feel like somebody's left me, <laughs> like I, I get that kind of, oh, Ooh. and it's just my little abandonment wounding trigger. And like, I know it and I recognize it. And sometimes it takes me a bit further down than others. Awareness. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. But what I don't bolt along with it anymore is judgment and shame. And I think this is the key element when it comes to go. trauma. It's like so often we as human beings think, Bad thing happened, I am a bad person. Yeah. Not not true. Bad thing happened, bad things happen, doesn't mean anything about me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the problem with even getting to traumas in the first place is that the shame and the self-doubt and the self-judgment and self-criticism is layered so deeply on top of it, particularly because we're normally talking to adults. The trauma happened as a kid. Yeah. And we've got decades of compounding, oh, I'm a terrible person that goes on top of that. Yeah. So suddenly we're dealing with this toxic shame soup, which is basically, I am not good enough. And that's so far removed from the original event yeah. that actually getting back to the original event can feel really difficult. Well, and I think that it helps us rationalize what sure. is going on. I love that. I absolutely love that. It's it, like, it has to be my fault because... It doesn't, oh, nothing else makes nothing sense. Nothing else makes sense. Yeah, I love that. I haven't been, no one's told me any different. I don't know any different. I haven't learned those lessons. Um, it, it has to be hmm. me. And hmm. this is the only thing that makes sense of why I am the way that I am. Hmm. And it's a way to, well, I don't want to say a lazy way, but it's a way for us to label ourselves we give ourselves a diagnosis or we're like it has to be this when we actually don't truly know Mm. well and quite often there's human brains are ridiculous sometimes but ridiculously um, like (laughs) complex and amazing and they can literally do nutso gymnastics to, right. to help us feel okay at least i can rationalize what's happening and this is the thing with safety and i've just hit on it thank you bros you've just triggered that so when you feel like an ex trauma has created a frequency of unsafety the only way to make things safe again is for you to take responsibility because if you actually blame the perpetrator you still feel unsafe because you can be hurt by somebody outside of you. Mm. Whereas if you take it on as an it's my fault thing, you feel safe because it was all you, no one can hurt you, it was your fault, and therefore externals are not threatening. It's all within you. Mm. And it's an adaptation that our brain makes because it's the safest choice in that moment to think it's all my fault because actually it being somebody else's fault is the fucking scariest thing because that means other people have power over us yeah at the end of the day your brain is going to pick the shortest simplest path to rationalizing anything to peace and safety again even if that peace and safety is literally it compromises everything yes 100 percent. and it's like it's only safe when it's ours to hold you know this with me like arch responsibility for everything and you actually like let me take responsibility for everything and it's like because then if i can control it all it's all on me and I, I, it feels safer. But actually, it's that kind of, particularly when it comes to where there has been a perpetrator or deaths again, it's like, oh, I must have done something wrong is actually somewhere behind bereavements at times. Just because if actually life is fickle, accidents happen, terrible things can happen at any moment is the truth of your reality. Yeah. That's a deeply unsafe place to be. Yeah, and it, and it goes back to... Anybody who's watched Goodwill Hunting, it's not your fault. 
that scene, Will's a genius in this. It's not your fault. <laughs> no, 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 I know, I know. No, it's not your fault. Mm. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I know. Mm. It's not your fault. And, he, and Robin Williams' character repeats it over and over because although cognitively his character, and I know this is a fictional character, but it is a very real mm, circumstance, very yeah. um, knows cognitively that everything that's being said, he knows that it's not his fault, but yet there is an overpowering part of him mm. that is continuing to say everything mm. is your fault. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's a really good um, segue into, okay, so we've just laid out a huge mass of trauma and it feels yeah. like a lot of stuff. How do we actually heal it? And a lot of that is um, constantly approaching ourselves with compassion. Huge. Huge. And constantly approaching ourselves with the idea of forgiving ourselves for believing in the myth or the narrative that we've created for so long. Because when you're trying to heal from trauma as an adult, you're not just healing from the original trauma. You're healing from all of the crap you've put yourself through as a result of the trauma in the decades since. So the route back is extreme forgiveness, really being compassionate to yourself for the cognitive foibles that we all fall into. And that's why explaining this on a podcast is really relevant for people because if you've heard yourself in this narrative that we've spun if you've heard and recognized some of your patterns and your behaviors you absolutely know that all that has happened to you is your natural biological cognitive primitive survival response has kicked in at absolutely the appropriate time when you went through something traumatic congratulations you are human and that is all yeah and it's not your fault it's not your fault it, it really is and i don't say, even say that as a as a joke right. i mean guys it's it's really not what we can start to be at fault of is becoming aware of the patterns mm-hmm. and doing nothing doing about absolutely it. Absolutely nothing. Or like Or saying, having others suffer. That's just the way I am. Yeah, that's just the way I am. If you say that, that's just the way I am. Nothing can nothing's ever gonna change no matter what I do, uh, or I don't give a shit how it affects anyone else, then give us a call. <laughs> give us a call. Because there are some some Things that we can move through and, well, and because, liberate yourself. Because that fuck you attitude is still a symptom of shame. It's still a symptom oh, yeah. of it's the chip on the shoulder. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm gonna Yeah. You know, you're not gonna tell me who I am. Yeah. I mean, it's like, well, you're a scared little, little person. Boy. Yeah. And still trying to defend yourself yeah. against a threat that you you've cognitively got no idea of right now. Yeah, or maybe you do know where that threat came from, mm. but there's so much shame attached to that mm-hmm. that you're not, not willing, willing to, to move there. in it, through it, work on it. Mm. And that's why coming to a coach, I mean, we have a whole suite of tools that we use with our clients, and there's no point really in mentioning them specifically today because we don't have time to go into them fully, but it's about recognizing that the the default start point is this is a safe space you have the breadth within my nervous system to go anywhere within your nervous system i can hold it and i'm with you and i am not sitting in a place of judgment there is never a moment where i'm in a place of oh yeah no that one actually was your fault (laughs) with my clients (laughs) that doesn't ever happen and it's it's very much a case of having that supportive infrastructure to then leverage the tools 
to deal with the shame, to deal with the judgment, to deal with the part that's the inner critic that doesn't want to let go of any of this, to deal with the child that actually experienced the trauma or the adult, to deal with all of those things. And that is why coaching containers exist, and particularly trauma-informed coaches like us. We can not only guide that process with um, techniques, if you like, but we are also energetically so aware of intuitively how to hold someone as they navigate delving into whatever has truly created their adaptive patterns and strategies on the surface. Again, beautifully said. I'm just I'm just sitting here just like nodding again. And but just to say as well, you don't need to have coaches. Like this is not an entire podcast selling coaching at you, although we believe in coaching and we have coaches and we are coaches because we believe in it but having good friends if you feel like okay having a coach is beyond you or having a coach is not something that you want the key to what you're looking for to resolve trauma is to make a life that feels safe again because everything stems from the very first thing I said on this podcast which is something made you believe that life inherently wasn't safe and it's the beauty of the human experience that we know it's not safe we know we all die we know there is no one who lives forever we know that there is inherent risk to everything we do but we have to exist in a world for our nervous systems where we feel innately safe so building that with friendships connections loved ones having self-care practices which make you feel warm and cozy inside Mm -hmm. all of these are disproportionately impactful to people who've had trauma because it's taking their nervous system and saying okay this kind of chaos that you hold 24 7 here have a bath and hug a teddy like it genuinely sounds stupid but helps and it isn't an escape into drugs or drink or booze or that's drink but you know what i mean it's like it's not an escape into something yeah and 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 also again just to reiterate not escaping into a strategy mm-hmm. that to the outside world and to society looks it's super positive but it's not exercise yeah. overwork yep yeah um yeah like <laughs> so many of my executives are not just working 60 hour weeks and taking home crazy money but also want to do a like an ultra marathon on a weekend and they're training for some kind of tough mudder event and you're just like mate like, <laughs> there's something underneath this isn't there yeah yeah so yeah. yeah and just to briefly touch back on medication which is something that i did say i wanted to touch on i'm a natural naturopath physician I truly believe that root cause resolution and healing from the inside out is the solution. And yet, sometimes to get from where you are today to actually digging into the solutions underneath requires a life raft. And I always describe psychiatric medication like this. Mm. Psychopharmaceuticals, when applied correctly, and there are very different ones, very different classes of drugs for different states, whether it's constant 24-7, whether it's situational, so that thing triggers that response, or whether it's actually generally your entire state is in a sense of disarray, or whether you've got sleep issues that mean that you can't sleep but it's not anything to do with sleeping medications. Those, that, I mean, that's four different classes and there's more of how you can, for a finite period of time, implement a pharmaceutical strategy guided by a psychiatrist who is well-equipped to understand that your symptom map, 
actually leads to this neurochemical situation and to give your body a bit of peace a bit of fake it till you make it with a an external substance sometimes is the gateway drug literally to actually then being able to resolve things because sometimes the tension map that occurs in your body because of traumas can be such that you volunteering to come and speak to a coach is so not anything that you're ever going to want to do and that has to be borne in mind particularly when you're dealing with really big things. Y'all get that? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, that is our whistle-stop tour through trauma, through what it is, how it happens, what gets associated with it, how it manifests, and how you might want to start going about dealing with it. Yeah, guys. Nothing to be ashamed of. Hmm. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Yes, there may be shame that comes up, all around it mm-hmm. and, and manifest in many different ways. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just so huge. Yeah, it's demonizing like, shame is not something that we should ever yeah, do. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Love yourself more than that. Don't let that part of you, which, you know, is in healthy shame, is an essential part of. You know, how we are built, how we are made. But when it becomes toxic Mm -hmm. shame, Mm. that's when we get to give ourselves a break. Mm. And we have the opportunity with that break Mm -hmm. to move in and really explore it and and see where some healing could possibly take place. Mm -hmm. Because it's definitely there. It's definitely available. And um, and if all you've got in your head at the moment is the word shame and you don't know how to start dealing with it, just insert the word forgiveness alongside the word shame in your amen. brain you and go. leave it there. You don't actually need to deal with everything. Like if we ran yeah, around no. trying to look for all your things, we'd be here forever. We'd be here just as long as all the patterns got took to get created. Yeah. So just hold shame and know that the cure for shame is always forgiveness. But slide them alongside each other in your brain and contemplate and just feel free to forgive yourself. This podcast is your permission to forgive yourself. That's right. That's right. And if you need support in that, reach out. Mm -hmm. Reach out to your friends, to family, people who you trust, Mm -hmm. people who are willing to sit and listen and not listen in order to respond, but just Mm -hmm. to listen. Mm -hmm. And take in what you've experienced Mm. for however long it's been there Mm. and allow yourself to be held by Mm. someone else. You do not have to do this Mm -hmm. on your own. Anyone who tries or think they can is fooling themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm. And if we can be of any assistance at all, we are master coaches that support people through this journey. You can email us at podcast at unveilenterprises.com. But for now, I think that's us for today and our whistle-stop tour of trauma. Mm. Great work. <laughs> I loved listening to you work. It's great. <laughs> My name is Brace Harris. And I am Victoria Venton. And we are... Unveil. Cue the music. <laughs> Unveil.